If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift, made possible by Envy Pillow. Created by two registered nurses in Canada, Envy Pillow has a unique ergonomic design to reduce wrinkles, help with TMJ pain, and align your neck and spine. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, pillow.com. Thank you for finding us here and for sharing these sacred, quiet hours as I tell you the tale of a tiny girl, a few nasty suitors, and the love found among beautiful forest flowers. Just before we embark on this story by Hans Christian Andersen, let us wrap ourselves not in the flower petals of the girl in our story, but in whatever keeps you cozy and safe and warm. And as you relax your body, letting all of the tension of the day release from your neck, your shoulders, even your face, take a deep breath in and out. And now, another inhale. And this time, as you exhale, think these words. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. And if you're ready, let's drift. Once upon a time, there was a woman who wished very much to have a little child. So she went to a fairy and said, I should so very much like to have a little child. Can you tell me where I can find one? Oh, that can be easily managed, said the fairy. Here's a bit of barley. Put it into a flower pot and see what will happen. Thank you, said the woman. And she paid the fairy and went home and planted it. There grew up a large, handsome flower somewhat like a tulip in appearance, but with its leaves tightly closed as if it were still a bud. It is a beautiful flower, said the woman, and she kissed the red and golden-colored petals. And as she did so, the flower opened, and she could see that it was a real tulip. But within the flower sat a very delicate, and graceful little maiden. She was scarcely half as long as a thumb, and they named her Thumbelina because she was so small. A walnut shell, elegantly polished, served for a cradle. Her bed was formed of blue-violet leaves with a rose leaf for a blanket. Here she slept at night. But one night, a large, ugly, wet toad crept through a broken pane of glass in the window and leapt right up on the table where Thumbelina lay sleeping under her rose-leaf quilt. What a pretty little wife this would make for my son, 
said the toad. And she took up the walnut shell in which Thumbelina lay asleep and jumped through the window with it into the garden. In the garden in a swamp lived the toad with her son. He was uglier even than his mother. And when he saw the pretty little maiden in her elegant bed, he could only croak. Shh, don't speak so loud or she will wake, said the mother toad, and then she might run away. We will place her on one of the water lily leaves out in the stream. It will be like an island to her, and then she cannot escape. While she is there, we will prepare the stateroom under the marsh where you are to live when you are both married. The tiny creature woke very early in the morning and began to cry bitterly when she found where she was, for she could see nothing but water on every side of the large green lily pad and no way of reaching land. Meanwhile, the old toad was very busy under the marsh decking her room with rushes and yellow wild flowers to make it look pretty for her new daughter-in-law. Then she swam out with her ugly son to the leaf on which she had placed poor Thumbelina. The old toad said, Here is my son. He will be your husband, and you will live happily together in the marsh by the stream. And again, all her son could say was, croak. The toads swam away, leaving Thumbelina alone on the green leaf where she sat and wept. She could not bear to think of living with the old toad and having her ugly son for a husband. Now the little fishes who swam about in the water beneath had heard what the toad said, so they lifted their heads above the water to look at the tiny maiden. They saw she was very pretty, and it angered them to think that she must go and live with the wretched toads. So they gathered together around the green stalk, which held the leaf on which the little maiden stood, and gnawed away at its root. Then the leaf floated downstream, carrying Thumbelina far away, out of reach of land. She sailed past many towns, and the birds in the bushes saw her and sang, What a lovely little creature! She floated farther and farther to other lands. A graceful white butterfly constantly fluttered round her and at last landed on the leaf. The tiny maiden pleased him, so with his permission, she took off her apron and tied one end of it around the butterfly fastening the other end of the ribbon to the leaf, which now glided on much faster than before, taking Thumbelina with it as she stood. Soon a large brown beetle flew by. The moment he caught sight of her, he seized her round her delicate waist with his claws and flew with her into a tree. The green leaf floated away on the brook, and the butterfly flew with it, for he was fastened to it and could not get away. Oh, how frightened Thumbelina felt when the beetle took her to the tree. But especially she was sorry for the beautiful white butterfly 
which he had fastened to the leaf, for if he could not free himself, he would die. But the beetle did not care. He told her she was very pretty, though not at all like him. After a time, all the beetles who lived in the tree came to visit Thumbelina. They stared at her, and then the young lady beetles said, She has only two legs. How ugly that looks. She has no feelers, said another. Her waist is quite slim. Ew, she's like a human being. Oh, she is ugly, they all said. And the male who had snatched her believed them. So he told her to be on her way. Then he flew down with her from the tree and placed her on a daisy. The whole summer long, poor tiny Thumbelina lived quite alone in the wide forest. She wove herself a bed with blades of grass and hung it up under a broad leaf to protect herself from the rain. She drew the honey from the flowers for food and drank the dew from their leaves every morning. So passed away the summer and the autumn, and then came the long, cold winter. All the birds who had sung to her so sweetly had flown away, and the trees and the flowers had withered. The large shamrock she had lived under was now shriveled up. Nothing remained but a yellow, withered stalk. Her clothes were torn, and she was herself so frail and delicate that she was nearly frozen to death. It began to snow, too, and the snowflakes as they fell upon her were like a whole shovelful falling upon you or me. For remember, she was only an inch high. Near the wood in which she had been living was a large cornfield covered in bare, dry stubble. It was to her like struggling through a large forest, but she trudged through in search of warmth. Oh, how she shivered with the cold! She came at last to the door of a field mouse who had a little den under the cornfield. There dwelt the field mouse in cozy comfort, with a whole room full of corn, a kitchen, and a beautiful dining room. Poor Thumbelina stood before the door, just like a little beggar girl, and asked for a small piece of barley, for she had been without a bite to eat for two days. You poor little thing, said the field mouse for she really was a good old mouse, come into my warm room and dine with me. After a time, she said, you are quite welcome to stay with me all the winter if you like, but you must keep my rooms clean and neat and tell me stories, for I should like to hear them very much. And Thumbelina did all that the field mouse asked her and found herself very comfortable. One day, the field mouse announced, We shall have a visitor soon. My neighbor comes by once a week. He's better off than I am. He has large rooms and wears a beautiful black velvet coat. 
If you could only have him for a husband, you would be well provided for. But he is blind, so you must tell him some of your prettiest stories. Thumbelina was not at all interested in this mole, but he came for a visit dressed in his black velvet coat. He is very rich and learned, and his house is twenty times larger than mine, said the field mouse. He was all that, no doubt, but he always spoke poorly of the sun and the pretty flowers, because he had never seen them. Thumbelina was obliged to sing to him, and the mole fell in love with her, because she had so sweet a voice. A short time before, the mole had dug a long passage under the earth, which led from the field mouse's dwelling to his own, and here she could walk with Thumbelina whenever she liked. But he warned them not to be afraid at the sight of a dead bird, which lay in the passage. It was a perfect bird, with a beak and feathers, and could not have been dead long. It was lying just where the mole had made his tunnel. The mole took in his mouth a piece of phosphorescent wood which glittered like fire in the dark. Then he went before them to light through the long, dark passage. When they came to the spot where the dead bird lay, the mole pushed his broad nose through the ceiling so that the earth gave way and the daylight shone into the passage. In the middle of the floor lay a swallow. His beautiful wings pulled close to his sides, his feet and head drawn up under his feathers. The poor bird had evidently died of the cold. It made Thumbelina very sad to see it. She did so love the birds. All the summer they had sung and tweeted for her so beautifully but the mole pushed it aside and said, How miserable to be born a bird! I am thankful that none of my children will ever be birds, for they can do nothing but cry tweet tweet and must always die of hunger in the winter. Thumbelina said nothing, but when the two others had turned their backs, she stooped down and stroked the soft feathers which covered the bird's head and kissed the closed eyelids. Perhaps this was the one who sang to me so sweetly in the summer, she said, and how much pleasure it gave me. You dear, pretty bird. The mole now stopped up the hole through which the daylight shone, and then accompanied the ladies home. But during the night, Thumbelina wove a large, beautiful carpet of hay, as soft as wool. She carried it to the dead bird and spread it over him so that he might lie warmly in the cold earth. Farewell, pretty bird, said she. And then she laid her head on the bird's breast. But could it be? It seemed as if something inside the bird went thump, thump. It was the bird's heart. He was not really dead just numb with the cold, and the warmth had restored him to life. In autumn, all the swallows fly away into warm countries, but if one happens to linger, the cold seizes it 
and it becomes chilled and falls down as if dead. It remains where it fell, and the cold snow covers it. Thumbelina trembled and was quite frightened, for the bird was large, a great deal larger than herself. She was only an inch high, remember. But she took courage, laid the wool more thickly over the poor swallow, and then took a leaf which she had used for her own blanket and laid it over his head. The next night she snuck out again to see him. He was alive, but very weak. He could only open his eyes for a moment to look at Thumbelina, who stood by holding a piece of decayed wood in her hand, for she had no other lantern. Thank you, pretty maiden, said the sick swallow. I have been so nicely warmed that I shall soon regain my strength and be able to fly about again in the warm sunshine. Stay in your warm bed, she said. I will take care of you. She brought the swallow some water in a flower leaf, and after he had sipped, he told her that he had wounded one of his wings in a thorn bush and could not fly as fast as the others, who were soon far away on their journey to warm countries. At last he had fallen to the earth and could remember nothing more, nor how he came to be where she had found him. All winter the swallow remained underground, and Thumbelina nursed him with care and love. She did not tell either the mole or the field mouse anything about it, for they did not like swallows. Very soon the springtime came, and the sun warmed the earth. Then the swallow bade farewell to Thumbelina, and she opened the hole in the ceiling which the mole had made. The sun shone in upon them so beautifully that the swallow asked her if she would go with him. She could sit on his back, he said, and he would fly away with her into the green woods. But she knew it would grieve the field mouse if she left her in that manner. So Thumbelina said, No, I cannot. Farewell, then. Farewell, you good, pretty little maiden, said the swallow, and he flew out into the sunshine. Thumbelina watched him go, and tears filled her eyes. She was very fond of the poor swallow. Tweet, tweet, sang the bird, as he flew out into the green woods and Thumbelina felt very sad. She was not permitted to go out into the warm sunshine. The corn, which had been sowed in the field over the house of the field mouse, had grown up high into the air and formed a thick wood to Thumbelina, who was only an inch in height. You are going to be married, little one, said the field mouse. My neighbor has asked for you. What good fortune for a poor child like you! The field mouse hired four spiders, who were to weave the bride's wedding clothes day and night. Every evening the mole visited her, and was continually speaking of the time when the summer would be over. 
Thumbelina was not at all pleased, for she did not like the tiresome mole. Every morning when the sun rose, and every evening when it went down, she would creep out the door, and as the wind blew aside the ears of corn so that she could see the sky, she thought how beautiful and blue and bright it seemed out there, and wished so much to see her dear friend, the swallow, again. But he never returned, for by this time he had flown far away into the lovely green forest. When autumn arrived, the field mouse said to her, In four weeks the wedding must take place. Then she wept and said she would not marry the disagreeable mole. Nonsense, replied the field mouse. Now don't be obstinate, or I shall bite you with my white teeth. He is a very handsome mole. The queen herself does not wear more beautiful velvets and furs. His kitchens and cellars are quite full. You ought to be very thankful for such good fortune. So the wedding day was fixed, on which the mole was to take her away to live with him, deep under the earth, and never again to see the warm sun, because he did not like it. The poor child was so unhappy at the thought of saying farewell to the beautiful sun, and as the field mouse had given her permission to stand at the door, she went to look at it once more. Farewell, bright sun, she cried, stretching out her arm towards it. And then she walked a short distance from the house, for the corn had been cut and only the dry stubble remained in the fields. Farewell, farewell, she repeated, wrapping her arm around a little red flower that grew just by her side. Greet the swallow for me if you should see him again. Tweet, tweet, sounded over her head suddenly. She looked up, and there was the swallow himself, flying close by. As soon as he spied Thumbelina, he was delighted. She told him how she didn't want to marry the ugly mole and live always beneath the earth, never more to see the bright sun. And as she told him, she wept. Cold winter is coming, said the swallow, and I am going to fly away into warmer countries. Will you go with me? You can sit on my back and fasten yourself on with your sash. Then we can fly away from the gloomy mole, far away, over the mountains, into warmer countries where it is always summer and the flowers bloom in greater beauty. Fly now with me, dear one. You saved my life. Yes, I will go with you, said Thumbelina and she seated herself on the bird's back with her feet on his outstretched wings and tied herself to one of his strongest feathers. The swallow flew over forest and sea, high above the highest mountains, covered with eternal snow. Thumbelina would have been frozen in the cold air, but she crept under the bird's warm feathers, keeping her little head uncovered so that she might admire the beautiful lands over which they passed.
At length they reached the warm countries, where the sun shines brightly, and the sky seems so much higher above the earth. Here on the hedges and by the wayside grew purple, green, and white grapes. Lemons and oranges hung from trees in the fields, and the air was fragrant with blossoms. Beautiful children ran along the country lanes, playing with large, colorful butterflies, and as the swallow flew farther and farther, every place appeared still more lovely. At last they came to a blue lake, and by the side of it, shaded by trees of the deepest green, stood a palace of dazzling white marble built in the olden times. Vines clustered round its lofty pillars, and at the top were many swallows' nests. And one of these was the home of the swallow who carried Thumbelina. This is my house, said the swallow, but it would not do for you to live there. You would not be comfortable. You must choose for yourself one of those lovely flowers and I will put you down upon it, and then you shall have everything that you can wish to make you happy. That will be delightful, she said, and clapped her tiny hands for joy. A large marble pillar lay on the ground, which, in falling, had been broken into three pieces. Between these pieces grew the most beautiful large white flowers, so the swallow flew down with Thumbelina and placed her on one of the broad leaves. But how surprised she was to see in the center of the flower a tiny little man, as white and transparent as if he had been made of crystal. He had a gold crown on his head and delicate wings at his shoulders, and was not much larger than was she herself. He was the angel of the flower, for a tiny man and a tiny woman dwell in every flower, and this was the king of them all. Oh, how beautiful he is, whispered Thumbelina to the swallow. The little prince was at first quite frightened at the bird, who was like a giant compared to such a delicate little creature as himself. But when he saw Thumbelina, he was delighted and thought her the prettiest little maiden he had ever seen. He took the gold crown from his head and placed it on hers and asked her name, and then if she would be his wife and queen over all the flowers. Well, this certainly was a very different sort of husband from the son of the toad or the mole with his black velvet and fur. So she said yes to the handsome prince. Then all the flowers opened, and out of each came a little lady or a tiny lord, all so pretty it was quite a pleasure to look at them. They gave her a pair of beautiful wings, which had belonged to a large white fly, and they fastened them to Thumbelina's shoulders so that she too might fly from flower to flower. And then there was much rejoicing, 
and the swallow, who sat above them in his nest, was asked to sing a wedding song, which he did, but in his heart he felt sad, for he was very fond of Thumbelina and hated to say goodbye. You must not be called Thumbelina any more, said the spirit of the flowers to her, because you are so very lovely, we will call you Maya. Farewell, farewell, said the swallow with a heavy heart as he left the warm countries to fly back into Denmark. There he had a nest over the window of a house in which lived the writer of fairy tales. The swallow sang, Tweet, tweet, and from his song came the whole story. And how lucky we are that the swallow of this tale happened to tell it to Mr. Anderson, for what a lovely story it was. On that note, I wish you a good night and sweet dreams.